So this is the last week of uh, This Is Us. That, that means we're done, right? This is the end of us. So uh, here we go. This is, better be a good one. Um, welcome. If you are here, and uh, it's been said a couple of times, but it's worth repeating. Uh, just, man, we're glad you're here. We're glad that each one of you is here. But if you're new and you're just here going, I don't know what this is or what this is about, and uh, you strolled and wandered into the room. Well, this is us, and it's a great, great weekend to be here. This is us, not that picture. So, so probably, probably not that group of people. But uh, no. But I was disappointed the day Ron had this taken, and he decided to shave. And um, I was like, saw him the next morning, and it was gone. I'm like, dude, you couldn't get to for one day. Come on, man. Um, but anyways, uh, we are in a series. This is us, and. Uh, this is the last weekend, so I just want to catch you up if you haven't been on the journey. Because I think it's vital that we understand why we're even doing this. So, so when we say this is us, we're talking about the family as a whole. We're talking about a group of people that have said, um, man, I belong to this family of God. I've chosen to plant my, my feet here. And, and, and so what we're saying is what you find in these, this scripture, this, this Romans chapter 12, when we were looking at it, we read it and went, that's us. That's who we're supposed to be. And so the goal is that as we journey over these weeks together, um, that, that what we really are defining is that if you find us, this is what you're going to find when you find someone that says Heights is home. That you're going to find us to be a group of people that are taking these words extremely seriously and it defines the actions that come out of our life. So wherever you find us, this is what we're going to be doing. And so in week one, we kicked off and we talked about the idea of being like-minded. That we need to be like-minded, or not like-minded, that our minds need to be renewed, right? But all of us together, we're like-minded because we're all renewing our minds. And as we renew our minds, we're transformed. And so the idea was about transformation. But then the rest of the passage begins to talk about what does it look like that if you renew your mind daily, what is your life going to look like? And so then the, the rest of the, the chapter breaks down. You had humility and gifts and how that plays out and serving each other out of humility. And then last week, uh, Pastor Mike was here talking about and he kicked off this section about love. That, that love is sincere. And then what you get coming out of that is all of these um, one-liners, so to speak, that all talk about what love is and, and, and sincerity. And when love is genuine, this is what you find. And, and so we get to a passage today, and, the, and it's, it's counterintuitive. And, and what I mean by that is I guarantee you that everything we talk about today does not come natural to anyone in the room. This is not your natural reaction. This is not your natural inclination. This is not when, when you hear this situation, you go, oh, that's me, and this is how I would respond. It's not going to happen. And, and so today, when we talk about being counterintuitive, maybe it would help first just kind of paint some pictures of what that actually means. So back in 1903, there was a man that was born called Abraham Wald, and he was a Jew that was born in Hungary. And he's... After the First World War, he was roughly a teenager, and, and he began to discover that he was a mathematician, and he was extremely good at it, and he got some connections with other people, and as, as World War II was breaking out, he ends up leaving and going to New York City, and he ends up in an apartment in New York City joining a team that is working together as statisticians to 
help solve problems that, that are occurring in the war, like what kind of ammunition to use for certain guns on certain planes and all of that, and they're breaking down stats and coming up with, with solutions. Well, one problem that was handed to him had to do around um, this airplane, and, and part of the problem was the airplanes would come back and, and they wanted to put armor on them. They were losing too many airplanes. And so the British um, Royal Air Force, the RAF, contacted them and said, hey, we need to solve this problem. And so they began to analyze uh, planes that were returning. Um, Abraham Wald would go out and he would sketch it and he would mark every bullet hole on the plane. And so they began to get re- gather research and, and began to analyze where are the planes being shot the most, which then the natural response was, you'll put the armor where? Where the planes are being shot the most. But he proposed a question. He said, the problem is with the missing bullet holes. And I, they said, well, what do you mean? He said, I think we should put the armor where the missing bullet holes are. And they said, well, how do you figure out the missing bullet holes? He goes, they're on the planes that aren't coming back. And he said, I think, we should put the, I think we should put the armor in the place the planes are being shot the least when they return home. And so that would have been the engine compartment where it was roughly 1.1 um, per square foot. And so they, they decided to give this a chance. We'll, we'll put the armor around the engines um, because you couldn't put armor on everything. It was too heavy, wouldn't have maneuverability, wouldn't be able to fly. So, so they, they gave it a chance and began to put the armor around the, the engines and more and more planes began coming back. And this is one of the moments that they believe turned the war. Now that is counterintuitive. There is nobody that's going, the natural response is put it where we're getting shot the least on, on what we see. It's kind of like anybody in the room play golf? Any golfers? Okay, you ever played with somebody that outdrives you every time? Yeah, they're annoying. Um, so so I, I played golf for a while and, and I was consistently getting... I'm getting out drove, 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 out drove, out drove, I guess that's the word. But, but so, so I'm a little bit competitive, so I want to do better. By the way, golf is by far the hardest game I've ever played in my life. Um, it is the most frustrating game that I've ever played in my life. I think at one point I dug a putter, putter into the, the green and had to take a break for a while. Um, not because I was in jail, but um, so, but, but. You ever play golf and, and, and you're trying to get more distance and somebody goes to you, you need to swing easier. Okay, hold up. I'm trying to get the ball to go further and you want me to swing easier. That's counterintuitive. That doesn't make sense. The natural inclination is I'm going to swing as hard as I possibly can. I'm going to make this ball go, right? And reality is you have to calm down. You have to relax and get a rhythm to your swing. And when you hit the sweet spot, that ball will go, right? This passage we're about to dive into is completely counterintuitive. This passage we're about to dive into, I guarantee you that you're gonna have moments going, that's not my natural response. My natural response is not what I see on that page. And so if you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Again, the context is, this is, this, this is coming out of a context of love that is genuine, okay? So the call on us, church, is that we look like what we're about to read. That, that what, what's penned on these pages is supposed to be then carried out with the soles of our shoes into everywhere we go. 
That this is supposed to be the markers of who we are. That when you talk about the church, when you talk about the body of Jesus, when you talk about this gathering, this collective of believers, this, these are the things that are supposed to mark us within the actions that we carry out. And so it begins out this way in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Okay. Right. Just first glance. That's hard. Now, now it's going to get even. Bless is to call from heaven a divine favor. You are, you are praying and you are crying out to God and you are calling to God that divine favor would come down and rest where? On who? Those who persecute. That word persecute, by the way, is that they've, that this group of people, whoever it is that's persecuting, they have actually come up with a system that helps oppress and persecute people better. That this is a systemic thing. That this isn't a one-time action. They've got a plan and they are implementing that plan and they are taking over and, and they, and they are persecuting you. And it says, call down what? Divine favor from heaven on those who have systems to oppress and persecute people. Now, the context of this, this is written um, by Paul and is believed in 57 AD, right? So, so Paul's writing to a specific context, real time, real people, real places. And, and, and in that context, he's writing in 57. It's believed that the emperor changed in 54. The emperor before that, um, Claudius, he had a moment where he decided that he was going to exile anyone who was Jewish from Rome. The problem was at that time, you couldn't tell who the Jewish Christians were and who the Gentile Christians were. They were all mixed together. So when he, Claudius goes, we're going to expel everybody, he's got a system, he's got a plan, he comes in by force, and he drags Jews out, and he expels them from Rome. He gets rid of them. Essentially, it would be like walking into the church today, and anyone of a certain descent, they just come in and they drag you out, friends are taken, family members are taken, and they are expelled from the city. That's the context that this is written into. And Paul goes, you need to call down divine favor from heaven on those that have oppressed you, those that are persecuting you, those that are forcing you outward. He says, you need to call down favor from heaven. That's counterintuitive. That doesn't come naturally. My natural inclination when someone uh, that I hear of someone either persecuting someone else or something that we're living under, an oppression we're living under, my natural inclination is not go, oh God, could you call down your divine favor on them? But can I tell you something for a second? That's the best thing you can call down. Because there was a day when I was a stranger from God and his divine favor rested where? On me and it changed everything. We're talking about the only thing that can change this. We're, we have in, in our hands, in our ability, if you like, the, the, the opportunity to call down the very thing that can transform what we are facing. That If Jesus actually shows up and his divine favor shows up, well, that's going to be grace and mercy. But grace and mercy in my context, I am a different human being than I was. And if they become what we are, then what should they be doing? They're going to be calling blessing down on someone else. 
This, this is an opportunity for you to step into the gap and go, I'm going I'm to choose to call God's favor down because I know when favor showed up for me, it changes everything. When favor showed up for our church, it changes everything. In fact, we went from people who would be persecuting people to now we are the people that are calling blessing from heaven. And, and here's the thing, right? Because because it's easy to go, well, that's Paul, and that's a certain context, and he wrote it to these Romans, and they were dealing with some stuff, and is that even relevant? Okay, let's step back to a guy named Jesus. It's kind of a big deal. This is what Jesus said in Luke. But to you who are listening, I say, so Jesus says, love, again, what's the context? Context is love, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Next verse. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat. That sounds really similar to what who Paul just said. So now Jesus is going, okay, Jesus is now in a space where he is being oppressed. Rome is there and they're not treating anyone very nice. And Jesus in that context goes, hold up. This is what I want you to do. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to love your enemies. And here's how you're going to do it. You're going to call blessing from heaven on them. By the way, when Jesus says this, the blessing is the idea behind it is that, that God's favor, God, who God is, actually rests on their side. You're calling God to rest on their side. Wait a minute, John, they're the enemy. Yeah, I know that. It's counterintuitive, remember? This is the opposite of what we would naturally want because naturally we go, if you're my enemy, then you're my enemy and I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to come after you because you're my enemy. But what Jesus is saying is actually this is counterintuitive, what you're called to, what you're called to. And by the way, if you're here and you go, man, I, I've said yes to Jesus and I got, I got news for you. This is, this is what you're called to. This is what you were saved to. This is the actions that should mark your life. Next verse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Um, Pastor Mike covered this last week. Next verse. Live in Harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Live in harmony. Live in harmony. Now that word harmony is a, is a music term. So it's, it's two people who are playing different notes, but they're, they're playing them in the same chord. And so what you hear is this beautiful sound on the other side, even though they're playing two different notes, but it's in the same chord. What this is saying for us is the call on us as believers is that we, while all very different and all playing different notes, we're playing them under the same chord that we are to what? Bless who? Those that are oppressing us, those that are persecuting, those that have systems to do so, we are all in our own way. We're going, God, we want you to bless them, but we're all playing different notes in the same chord. Why? Because we're being written into this thing. We're to live with harmony. Next verse. Do not repay. So now he kind of jumps and goes live in harmony and he jumps back now to the conversation that was going on. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Do not repay. The, the word repay is to um, 
reward or compensate. So, so somebody does something bad. And in this case, evil is anything outside of the scope of what God would want, right? And so God, God has righteousness. We talk about a lot, which is right actions when it gets down to us. So, so the idea that there are right actions that we're to carry out, if somebody carries out an action that is not what God would want towards you, you don't get in turn to turn around and go, well, they did it to me. So here goes. I'm just going to lump back to them. I'm going to reward them with some hate back. He says, don't repay, don't reward. When someone comes to you and they do something that is clearly outside of what God would want and it's evil or it's bad or it's hurtful or harmful or breaks you or whatever it happens to be, the response that we are to have is what? Don't reward it back with your own set of here you go. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. This idea of repaying evil for evil. Um, it, was, it was a number of years ago now, but um, my family went through something. Uh, we met a young lady who was in the youth group at the time, and then she moved on to college. And we got a call from her one day, and, and she, um, she said, hey, I got, I got pregnant. And we knew there was a story, knew she wasn't married, so we asked her, you know, what's going on? How did it happen? Like, what do you need? And... Uh, at the end of it, she said, um, I've been praying and I believe God wants you to take the baby. And so my wife and I, we, we prayed over that and sought the Lord and we felt like the Lord was, yeah, you need to walk this journey. You need to step into this. And so we got our kids, we walked them through the journey and long story short, but went through the whole process with her. Um, and, it, and it got to the last day when she, she was supposed to... Uh, show up at the birthing center in Prescott Valley. And uh, my wife, because she was days overdue and all that kind of stuff, um, and there's a lot of, lot of backstory here that, that you can figure out, but um, I end up in the birth, birthing center by myself. And at that point, we kind of figured things might be a little shady. And um, I'm standing there and I go, hey, do you know this girl's name? And they're like, we've never heard of her, sir. And I said, I said, I'm not surprised at this point, but like, can you just check one more time for me? And I mean, I, like, I want to paint the picture clearly. I'm standing there holding a car seat. I believe I'm going home with a, with a baby. And she, she said again, no, no, we've never, we've never heard of that name. I said, okay, thanks. Like, and so now my wife's away loving someone else. It was a, as a young lady whose mom had passed away and she was starting college. So my wife had taken her to college. And um, so I'm at home with two middle school girls and now have to navigate um, what we're now sitting in as a family. And um, I made a bad choice. I went to see a movie about a boy and it was really sad with them. I thought it would cheer them up and it was the wrong movie at the wrong time. <laughs> Welcome to being a dad. Um, and so we're sitting in the movie theater and all three of us are just sobbing. And I can't tell you how much everything within me wanted to repay evil for evil. How I wanted to use a platform that God had given me to drag her through the mud. How I wanted to justify how we were feeling and what we were going through. And I wanted to make sure that she paid for what she'd done to my kids and what she'd done to my wife. And I wanted, I wanted the world to know the story. 
And I just felt God going, you're better than this. This is not what I saved you for. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. You know what I love about this? Is it stops the cycle. If you live this out, it stops the cycle. See, the cycle is you do something to me, so I'll do something. That's the natural response. I'm going to get you back. I'm going to make sure you pay. And, and so the natural cycle is we, we, we hand stuff back and forth. The problem is we're called church to stop the cycle. How do we stop the cycle? I have to make a choice that these words are true and I'm going to live them out. That I'm actually called to this, that when we say this is us, this is us. That you won't find one of us repaying evil for evil. That you won't find one of us taking the hurt that we've received and in turn throwing it back at someone else. That we're going to make a choice to be the people of God that God has actually called us to be. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. That, that idea of right, you, you look at, in, in the terminology, you look at what right means. Right is in God's eyes. What are right actions? And you determine that, that this word be careful means that you have thought it through ahead of time. Guess what we're doing right now? We are thinking through ahead of time the kind of people we are going to be. The kind of people that God has saved us to be. So we're thinking through and we're deciding now, what am I going to do? What is right for me to do? Don't wait till the thing happens and now you're responding. But ahead of time, you're being proactive to go, this is the type of people we are going to be because Jesus has called us to be these kind of people. And so we're choosing ahead of time to do what's right. For me, the one area of this is, is coaching. I've made a choice as a coach that I will not be like every other coach. I will not dehumanize another person with my words to try and get my way and manipulate my way within a soccer game. And so I choose at times, even though you're wearing that uniform and you made a stupid call, I'm not going to degrade you in front of all these people. Right? Doesn't mean I don't know it's a stupid call. I know it's a stupid call. Doesn't mean you're not biased. I know you're biased. But it means that I'm aware that when I stand in that space, it's a God-given moment with eyes watching and a community journeying that I'm going to go, I'm not going to be that person because I am going to do what is right. Why? Because that matters far more in the long run. Because who I'm called to be as a follower of Jesus matters way more. And so I'm going to choose ahead of time what I do. Now, now this whole concept of do not repay evil for evil, you go, well, that's the Apostle Paul and that's from, okay, let me help you out. Let's go back to uh, Matthew. Jesus says this, you have heard it, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Next verse. But I tell you, Jesus tells you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, that, that, sounds, that sounds kind of similar again, right? Right? Love your enemies, the ones that are doing bad to you. Okay, let's jump to, uh, I believe it's First Peter. Finally, all of you be like-minded. So now this is Peter writing. So we've got Jesus, we've got Paul, now this is Peter. Be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Next verse. Do not repay evil with evil. Huh, heard that before. Or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because this is, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So, so now hold up. Jesus, kind of a big deal, right? Okay, come on, church. We're talking about Jesus. Gosh, Jesus, kind of a big deal. 
Good. All right. So, so he said it. Paul, he wrote most of the book that we're reading right now, the back end of the book, right? He's kind of a big deal. Agreed? Right. Okay. Peter hung out with Jesus in a whole bunch. Um, he's one of the guys, and the reasons that we have the gospel where it is now is because of Peter. He's a big deal. He says the exact same thing. See, here's how it works sometimes. We, we get in our heads, and we start to play these games where we go, well, that was Jesus, and Jesus was talking to a specific crowd, and those were the Jews, and so it only belongs to the Jews. Can I tell you, Jesus said it. And it was picked up by Paul and he says, hey, church, this is who we should be. This is what we should look like. And then Peter picks it up and he goes, hey, church, this is what we should look. I think if those three said it, it's a really big deal to us. And I think the call on our life then is that we're not going to repay evil with evil. That we're going to choose. We're going to be a people that go, we are going to stop the cycle here. You know what's the saddest thing to me? Is listening to, and I'll call it the big C church. The church at large. And how we choose to display our public face to an unsaved world. When we choose, when we choose instead of bless those that are against us, we choose to pick up whatever ammo we have, whatever weapon you want, whatever, and we choose to fire back at those people in a public forum. And it's sad part is it's turning, it's turning a generation away from the church. And at some point we have to go, this is us. This is what we were called to. And we are, we are going to make a difference. I can't control the rest of the world. I can only control me. I can only choose in me that I'm going to stop the cycle. Man, we can stay here all day. Next verse. If it is possible, as far as it depends on who? You. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with who? Everyone. As far as it is possible. That means you've exhausted everything you can possibly do. You have exhausted it to be at peace with that individual. That is the call on your life. If you're sitting here and you got somebody and you're kind of in a feud or you don't like each other or there's things that have gone on. And can I tell you that your call by almighty God as a believer is that you're supposed to step out and you're supposed to everything that you can possibly do, you need to do to bring peace to that relationship. And for me, sometimes that is going, I'm going to apologize, even though I don't need to apologize and I shouldn't apologize. I'm going to apologize because I just want to take all the tension right out of this. And I don't want to give you anything else that you can be held up against. You know what happens most of the time? Healing comes. Peace comes. Why? Because that's something I can do. I can choose to enter that moment and change it. Next verse. Do not, <laughs> it gets, you thought it was hard before. Do not take revenge. Do not take revenge. It's not, don't, don't take revenge. Notice why. My dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the who? The Lord. Don't take revenge. You know why? God, right, through Paul, just told all of us whose job is it to take revenge. So here's what happens. When you choose to take revenge and you're going to avenge a wrong against you, you're actually taking God's job and saying, I can do a better job, God. Get out of the way. Now, I don't know if you've read the end of the book. I don't think I got him beat when it comes to wrath. 
Just saying. Even if you read the beginning of the book, I think he's pretty trustworthy when it comes to what I'm carrying. And it's a conscious choice to go, God, I am going to trust you to do your job because I got more than enough that's counterintuitive and I can't do. So I'm just going to focus on my few things you gave me. And God, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you take care of avenge, avenging that, whatever it happens to be. Next verse. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If, if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Why? Because you'll heap burning coals. Now, 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 this could be something where you're like, yes, I get to heat those coals on, right? And that feels good. Okay, burning coals and fire in the, in the Bible are representative of God's presence. Do you know what you do when you give en- your enemy a drink? When you care for your enemy, you're inviting the very presence of God into that situation. You're inviting God's divine presence to come and rest there. You're bringing God into the middle of it. That's what this means. And if God is there and they reject God, that's a whole nother conversation. But you, by your actions, by choosing to be proactive, by choosing to enter it in a positive way and go, I'm going to hand this to you. And in handing this to you, I know that God's presence is resting because where this is found is where God is found. Why? Because God is love. Any moment, remember the context is love. Any moment we choose love, we're choosing God. And so the minute we love, God is present. Did you know that? Every time you love, sincerely, God is present. God is present. Next verse. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I don't know if you're weary from whatever's in your world, but can I, can I just a quick reminder? Good always wins. Good always wins. This ain't in the movies. Good always wins. How do I know that? There's an empty tomb and the empty tomb overcame death. Death is the worst. Death, death has been overcome. How do I know it's overcome? Because my savior ascended alive and he sits on a throne. So if you are weary, if you are weary, don't get weary of doing good because good will be evil every single time, every single time. Now, all of this could be very weighty and could feel like you walk out of here and I just got to work harder. I just got to go. I just got to. It's counterintuitive. The whole gospel is counterintuitive, by the way. You ever notice that? That, that? I mean, Paul wrote in Corinthians that when I am weak, then I am strong. That doesn't make sense, right? That's counterintuitive. Jesus said, you, you got to lose your life to find it, huh? Right? That, that through death comes life. That's weird. I mean, they're all over scripture. All these counterintuitive moments, all the teachings of Jesus are counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense to my natural self to go, when I am hurt, to not respond. That doesn't make sense. In Romans chapter 8, we're introduced to a person that changes everything. And it's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in you. And in Romans chapter 8, 
It says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Okay, so that's, that's the natural responses we have. That's when we respond to sin, when we respond to... It's because our minds, remember, beginning of chapter 12, we said we need to renew our minds, right? This is, this is a connection to the renewing your mind. That my natural flesh wants certain things. I have to choose to put my mind on something else. It says here, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit. So those who live, that's every step of your life, in accordance with what? The Spirit. What do you do? You have your mind set on what the Spirit desires. Can I tell you what the Spirit desires from you today? Don't repay evil for evil. The Spirit will never lead you anywhere else. The Spirit will never lead you to retaliation. He will never lead you to revenge. So when I set my mind on where the Spirit wants me and I trust the Spirit to lead me and guide me, you don't know what to do with a situation. Can I tell you the best thing? Just pray. God, would your Spirit show me what to do right now? And I guarantee you, he'll show you. We have to listen, but he'll show you. It's where we put our mind and where we rest our souls. See, this is counterintuitive, which means that it's not natural. So what do we have to do? We have to fight back how? We set our minds. We set our minds. Where do we set them? Spirit, what do you desire? Spirit will always lead you to love. Love is sincere. Love is genuine. There's a whole piece on it there, and it ends with, ends with this section. Why? Because this is us, church. This is us. We're a group of people that are going to take words very, very seriously. I had a quote in my head all week this week. I, I heard it, um, I think it was like Tuesday. But it was a guy who wrote a book and he's writing to the church specifically. And he said, if, if you only had the Bible and, and you had nothing else around, you're on a desert island, you've got no other people, you've never seen the church, you've never met a Christian, how would you live? What would you build? Maybe, maybe a challenge to end this is us. If you only had Romans chapter 12 and that was going to be the defining marker of everything you did and you don't have all your baggage from all your other ways of thinking, you just take Romans 12 and we're going to live it, how would you live? What would you do? Who would you call blessings down on? How would you love? What would your pride be like? Where would your mind be set? If you only had Romans 12 and declared this is us and we're just going to live this. So God, we come before you this morning. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us such hard things, God, but I'm thankful that they're difficult. I'm thankful that they're counterintuitive because, God, it means that we can't do it. We have to rest in you. We have to seek you. We have to trust your spirit. But, God, would you help us cement the type of people you have called us to be in Jesus? God, would you show us more and more the areas where we're not living out Romans 12? And God, would you burn on us a desire to be people that take the book and take it seriously and just live it out? Would you help us, Lord, with, it's not easy. We got all kinds of baggage when it comes to people. We got all kinds of baggage when it comes to things happening around us and in the world. 
Would you give us the courage to trust you in these words that this is the best way to be human? God, it all begins with Jesus. It's the place we all start at a cross that's equal. And so God, as we fix our eyes on Jesus in these next moments, would you remind us of why we are called? It's because you have saved us, you have ransomed us, and we are called your church. This is us, God. Would you allow us to cry out, to seek you, to surrender what we need, the relationships that we need to? God, would you remind us that you love us deeply? We love you and everybody said, amen.